Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Dogs to talk of the nation right now. State coming off that 44-34 win over LSU. Charlie and I had met for some coffee on Sunday. That was a fun show, wasn't it, Charlie? Yeah, that was. I enjoyed that, kind of the, the next morning wake up. We, we talked about this. There is nothing better than waking up the next morning and picking up a newspaper or just getting together and talking about a big win and we hadn't been able to talk about a win that big in quite a while. Yeah, it just kind of gives you a different perspective on the season. So now looking back, what State was able to do, a lot of the awards have come in, great uh, success for K.J. Costello in his first game as a Bulldog, 623 passing yards. It broke Mississippi State records for completions and attempts. He was 36 of 60. Yeah, Charlie, the uh, the air raid has arrived in Starkville. <laughs> 60 pass attempts. That used to be September. That was the month, and we did it in one ball game. That was a Sleepy Robinson season. That's right. I think Sleepy threw for like 1,200 yards in, in 1991. That was the first year for Jackie Sherrill. Now we did have Michael Davis, and we talked about that the other day. So now we get ready for the Arkansas Razorbacks. you got to put that one behind us. Charlie, we talked about it last week about LSU having to enjoy success in the offseason, and now they had to put that behind them. Now we got to enjoy some success and kind of put week one behind us. Yeah, all the talk coming out of practice this week was that it was some of the best practices we've had, but it is so important to get that mind back in the mode of being the chaser. Mississippi State, we've talked about this, right? We have had success historically when we've played with an edge, when we've had a little confidence but there's something about that underdog role that kind of sits well with us. Yeah, I think it's going to be really important to get grounded in a hurry. Was that one of the most perfect opportunities for a coach? You come out of the gates, you play well. What's the old adage? You improve the most between week one and week two. Yeah, you won a big game on the road. You played extremely well. But as we talked about in the last show on Sunday, is we left a lot of stuff out on the field. Now you still have some teachable moments to go along with that big win. Think about if you're Mike Leach and you get in the film room on Sunday and you're back on the practice field on Tuesday. You've got a quarterback who set a record, and yet as a coach, you can be as critical as you want to be. You didn't protect the ball. You made some bad decisions. It is a great thing to win and to have room for improvement. On this show, we're going to have a lot of fun. Later in the show, we're going to talk with Rick Neuheisel, who is with CBS Sports. He has Sirius XM show with Chris Childers every day, the full ride. He's a coach out on the West Coast. He's seen a lot of the Mike Leach offense, and so I'd like to get his thoughts about what you may see defenses do. And that's one of the things, Charlie, that I want to kind of ask Rick Neuheisel is LSU with a lot of bravado in the game on Saturday coming up pressing man-to-man. You heard Mike Leach talk about it after the game. He was a little bit surprised that LSU elected to play so much man with Bo Pelini in his first game back as defensive coordinator. I think that's one of the things I want to know is what do you expect to see going forward from defenses? Yeah, two things come to mind. Number one, that LSU attitude was very 
young high school coach type approach of we're going to do our thing. We're not making adjustments. Great coaches make adjustments. LSU didn't make any. They didn't make any at all defensively. And they, it's like they were stubborn about it. Yeah. That, you know, we're a man defense team, and that's what we're going to do, no matter that they're getting beat up the whole time. But the second thing it brings to mind is I want to know if you're going to ask Rick Neuheisel about his house at Old Waverly. <laughs> You know, how many times over the years have we heard that some coaches or former NFL quarterback is looking for a house at Waverly because they're coming to Mississippi State or to Ole Miss or what have you? Yeah, I think it was about 10 years ago. We were convinced. Everybody was convinced that Rick Neuheisel was going to Oxford. He'd already bought a condo at Waverly or a loft above the square, whatever. That'll be later in the show. And, of course, we're always brought to you by our good friends at Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Just tremendous customer service. If you have any questions for an agent, you can go to their app. You can ask them questions there. You can call those guys at any time. But I'll tell you what, you just can't beat the great service and the insurance of Farm Bureau. And, once again, bringing you out of left field. So, Charlie, it's hard to put it behind you, but now Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we'll just kind of dip more into a in-depth view of the Razorbacks as we go through the show. But Arkansas as a team, you know, they have been wretched over the past couple of years, now a new head coach. They played well in the first half, and they played with a little bit of an edge in the first half against Georgia, and that's the thing about Sam Pittman. It's a completely different style than what they've had over the past couple of years. And he's trying to bring that blue-collar mentality. He was the offensive coordinator at Georgia. He's trying to bring that to Fayetteville. It's interesting. You look at the stats from their game against Georgia, and they've held Georgia in the first half to 1 of 12 on third down. So And forced number three and outs. Mississippi State did a pretty good job staying on the field in that football game. It's going to be interesting, though. I think you're going to see an entirely different approach than what Mississippi State saw in LSU. I think you're going to see a team in Arkansas that's going to make some adjustments. And I think particularly early on, it's going to be really important that Mississippi State come out clicking on all cylinders. The thing we haven't talked about, this is the first home game of the year. And just nothing beats the mood around town. Nothing beats the way people are in the department, how fans react. And I know we're going to only have, what, 25% within the stadium. But You'll have more than that in town. But it feels like it, it, it just finally feels right around town, having a big sporting event, having a lot of positivity coming off the first game of the season. It just feels different. Now, it feels good. It kind of feels natural like it used to. It's interesting. I've talked to a number of people who don't even have tickets and who've talked about that they're coming to town this weekend. They've got a place here. They just want to be around it. And how great is it to get that win over LSU? One, any season, any record. It's kind of like go back to the bowl game when you beat Michigan. It didn't really matter that Michigan was down. It was still those helmets. It was still those jerseys. There's something about beating LSU. But this is a team coming off a national championship. This isn't a bad LSU football team. It's very talented, a game that by any measure you could not have expected to win going in unless you were just the biggest diehard Bulldog or a member of that football team, and yet you pull it off. So you're all of a sudden the expectations change because you went and won a game that nobody expected you to. We talked about it in the Sunday show about playing with an edge and looking back and having time to go back and watch the game again to think about the physicality of that team. That was the thing that stood out to me. It kind of felt like an old Matt Bayless team early in the Mullen career. And you had guys that were out there that were playing hard, that weren't afraid to hit, that weren't afraid of contact. It was 
kind of like the good old days. I mean, it was kind of a Jackie Sherrill. I mean, it was it was really just kind of a rugged type of – and I know you gave up 34 points, but you still didn't mind hitting somebody. That was the thing that really jumped out to me, and we predicted this last week. We kind of cautioned in that one of the myths of Mike Leach was that his teams weren't physical. I thought they drove home that point big time this weekend. The idea that the air raid is a finesse offense and it kind of trickles through your team – is just wrong. That's as physical as we've seen Mississippi State play defense in a couple of years. And I think you can attribute so much of that to Tyson Brown and his strength and conditioning staff. I mean, our guys were in shape. Osiris Mitchell said after the game, hey, those LSU guys were just talking about how tired they were. And, Charlie, which brings up the point. You see in the NFL, it's almost the NFL has become like the NBA, where the first 55 minutes of an NFL game, it's almost like you're just trying to play it out. And then the last five, okay, it's time to get busy, time to get going. It's like the last five minutes of an NBA game. Okay, you may not see a whole lot of defense, but in today's style of college football, in this style of the air raid, if you're playing at LSU, you're playing against Alabama, do you kind of have that same feel of, okay, if we can muddle our way through three quarters – and we can wear them down. This is the style of offense that can really make some hay in the last seven minutes of football. You do, and I'll tell you one other reason why. And it's a we talked about the physicality of the team, the composure of this team. And I think you've got to put a lot of that on Mike Leach, and you've got to put a lot of it on your quarterback because we faced adversity and we had composure. We saw our defense – Normally, when we think of a Mississippi State defense playing this aggressive 3-3-5 and getting after the quarterback, we think of jumping off sides. We think of roughing the passer. We think of late hits out of bounds. All those things that we saw back in the late 90s, none of that. You got one penalty late. That was in some garbage time. The bottom line, though, is this is a team that has composure. It's shown that it can go move the football down the field that it can get off the field. They can hold opponent to a field goal when it matters and win that ball game at the end. I think that experience this weekend has to prove valuable. That was as well coached of a football game as I've seen in a long, long time. In addition to the way you executed your offense and executed on the defensive side. So when Charlie and I come back, we'll have our five big things, the five big plays in the game that really stood out to us, the obscure plays, all of that brought to you by Cannon Motors of Startwell. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our five big plays brought to you each week by our friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Well, Chris King and the guys there, I tell you what, I went by there just the other day. You just can't beat the sales staff, the management, everything about Cannon Motors, the way that they have really come into Starkville and been a part of the community. Chris Keen and his gang, well, they do a great job. So we want to point you in the direction of the folks that uh, that we do our business with, and that's Cannon Ford of Starkville. Okay, Charlie, time for our five big things. I can't remember last week, did we go one to five? We go five to one. We we're going to go one to five because we're going to go chronological order. Okay. And let's go ahead and kind of reset here. But the idea here is everybody knows when the game is over, the highlights are going to be the touchdowns. They're going to be the turnovers, the made field goals. What we like to do, we we'll go back and find five plays that had a big impact on the outcome of the ball game, 
but that didn't show up in the highlights. Not things that people were talking about Sunday morning. Typically not things you and I were talking about on Sunday morning, but that come from breaking down the performance, really getting in behind the numbers. All right, what's number one? It's not very often that we do this, but I think the first big play of the ball game for Mississippi State came at the end of a three and out. It was a punt. Yes. And I'll tell you why. So Mississippi State comes out. I like it. First play, they complete a pass to Austin Williams, but then you go incomplete. Then you got a sack, and you're thinking, oh, boy, are we going to hold the ball too long? This is going to be a mess. But now you're back at your 22, and nightmares of LSU games past start to creep in. You have that idea that you go out, you go three and out, you punt, and now all of a sudden LSU is going to have the ball about their 40. But Tucker Day, and this is our first big play, gets a 58-yard punt to the LSU 20. Trey Palmer tries to return it, but Martin Emerson and Dylan Lawrence are downfield in coverage. He actually loses two yards on the return attempt, and all of a sudden LSU is taking over at their own 18. The ability to flip the field, even though your offense didn't pick up a first down, absolutely huge, sets Mississippi State up later in the quarter. Yeah, Charlie, come out of the gate. You go three and out. You have to punt. You were looking for anything positive. We talked so much about the air raid and about trying to get the offense on track. We had even talked about you wondered about K.J. Costello coming from Stanford, if he might hold on to the ball too much because he's used to seven-step drops. He's used to a different style of offense. And then you have to punt. I'm telling you what, sometimes as the negative Nancy – you may be thinking he's going to shank it. You know what I'm talking about? Right out of the gate. But Tucker Day, Tucker Day has had some really good punts in his career. But like you said, flipping the field, it's a lot different ball game for Miles Brennan, who's drawing his first ever start at LSU, starting a drive from his own 18-yard line and starting from his own 40. Yeah, so first big play, that Tucker Day punt. All right, what's number two? Ensuing sequence, LSU gets the ball at the 18. They run a couple of plays. They picked up a first down. Now they face a third and three at their own 35-yard line. And the thing that started to scare you was they had been running the ball. They would completed a couple of passes. But now you've got the third down and three. Aaron Brule makes the tackle of Miles Brennan. He stops the play for no gain. It forces LSU to punt. And you say, what's the big deal about a tackle? Well, number one, Brule was physical. I thought he helped send a message. We're here to play ball. And the biggest thing, confidence. He just got you off the field. This is a defense who, if they've been reading the newspaper, if they've been listening to any radio or podcast, they've been hearing how bad they are, how they're going to struggle to get off the field. I thought the play by Brule to get Mississippi State off the field was huge. Especially after what we've seen, what we've heard, having difficulties covering our offense. And you kind of wondered, and you always wonder this in scrimmages, if the offense is good, is it because the defense is bad? If the defense is good, you wonder if it's because the offense is bad. These guys are seeing a different offense in scrimmages, and then all of a sudden you come out there, you're looking for something positive. Okay, how good are we? Because you've got to ask yourself the question if you're one of the players and everybody, because there are so many new parts to that defense. You've got a lot of new guys out there, a lot of new names that we didn't we talked about last week of not knowing who they were. Like you said, Charlie, just getting off the field 
and getting just a small win does so much for our confidence. And I thought Aaron Brule, when he popped Miles Brennan right there, that kind of set the tone for the defense. Yeah, you, you don't force the three and out, but you got off the field. All right, what's number three? So let's go ahead and move to the second quarter. LSU has scored off a pick six. And all of a sudden, some of those ghosts starting to creep back up if you're a Mississippi State fan. But you have a drive. You take over at your 25. Costello goes complete for eight yards to Mitchell, goes complete to Kylan Hill for two yards, and then here's the big play. First and 10 from your own 35, K.J. Costello completes a 34-yard pass to Osiris Mitchell, gets down to the LSU 31. He gets out of bounds. Ultimately, what makes the highlight film? Three plays later, Costello's completing a pass to Shavers for a 31-yard touchdown. By the way, Shavers did a great job getting off the line of scrimmage there. But I thought that pass to flip the field when you're behind, you've already thrown a pick six just a few moments ago. I'm going to say the big play was that completion to Osiris Mitchell that got it to the LSU 31, but really that whole sequence there. When you have thrown the pick six and you come back, complete for eight, complete for two, complete for 34, if you had any lingering concerns about Costello, I thought he answered them right there. Yeah, and you see that sequence. Osiris for eight yards. That was a little crossing route. And that kind of just gets the confidence back. Then you get what you have to get. It's second down and two. You get it to Callan Hill. Two-yard gain. You get the first down. Then it's like, okay, I'm back in the groove now. I'm going to go up top. I'm going I'm to go for a dagger. And that's what you got. 34 yards, flip the field. And it showed LSU as much as it shows you. The confidence that you have in yourself. Then the, it's like, oh, my goodness, this guy's not going to wilt under some pressure. You flip the field again, you get Shavers with a touchdown, and then we take the lead back at 10-7. Yeah, and it was so big to to fall behind and come back, to make a mistake and come back from it. It just kind of encapsulated everything that you wanted to see from this Mississippi State team. You answered a lot of doubts right there. All right, what's number four? I'm going to give you the honor of number four. I'm going to let you share this one because this was a big play, and you noticed it at the time. My text message when that sequence was over, this goal line stand was over, I got a text message from you immediately saying, I've got one of the big plays. Well, it was the first drive of the second half because LSU comes out. You know, we're ahead in the game, 17-14 to 14 to start the third quarter. And LSU comes out of the gate, and you can see Chris Curry rush, Chris Curry rush, Chris Curry rush. I mean, they are going to establish a run. And it was one of those deals of can you stop the run. They get that big pass play 20 yards down to Jeray Jenkins, down to our 17-yard line. Big hold play, by the way. They were holding like four guys along the front line. And then they get down to the two-yard line. They On a fourth and one, Ty Davis-Price rushed for six down to the two. Aaron Brule made the tackle, reaches for his hammy, CBS tries to drive the point home that he's faking. Okay, I know it stopped the play. He was hurt, by the way, which was absolutely ridiculous by CBS. Went back and watched that again. I thought the sideline reporter was just as much at fault as Gary Danielson. Okay, so you're able to get your feet up under you without Aaron Brule. Ty Davis-Price rushes for no gain. Errol Thompson comes from the outside and makes a play. Then on the, To me, the fourth big play, the fourth obscure play, in this sequence. And this is my big play right here. The second down and goal from the two. Ty Davis-Price hit for no game by Sean Preston Jr. How many times do you see a running back with full speed power get to the line of scrimmage going one-on-one with a safety? The safety never wins. And he hit him and he dropped him 
right at the line of scrimmage. It forces you into the third down. It forces you to probably make a pass play, which we did on the next play, and we get the sack. But that second time pretty much shows LSU, you ain't running for this two yards. And I thought it goes back, too, to the point we made in the opening segment about how Mississippi State was more physical. It's one thing for your defensive line to be physical. It's another for Errol Thompson to be physical. But when you got a safety coming up and plugging up a hole and taking on a running back, I think that really helps send the message. And as you said, now even though you've run down the field, run down the field, you go no gain on first, rush for no gain on second. That sets up the play call on third where you feel like you got to throw it and Mississippi State able to make the play. Because don't you know LSU drove the point home in the locker room at halftime. We are about to get physical. We are about to run the football, and we are about to take the lead back. And then all of a sudden you get popped in the mouth at the one-yard line or the two-yard line. You're forced to kick that 26-yard field goal from Cade York, and then you're tied. You don't have near the momentum you have if you can push that thing in right there. No, I think you're absolutely right. That second down play forced the play call on third. That's our fourth big play. All right, what's number five? Our fifth and final big play. You know, Bart, you get to the fourth quarter, and for a moment there, everything's falling apart. It's 34-34. We've had some turnovers. Things look like they're getting away from us. And Mississippi State's got the ball at its own 43. We had run just two plays, and K.J. Costello drops back, and the ball comes out of his hand. There's a video review and it was overturned from a fumble to an incomplete pass. Mississippi State keeps the ball. There are people, in fact, there are many people who are saying at this point, run the football, do something other than throw it. We shook. (laughs) And, And what did Mike Leach do? Let's throw it. And he throws complete Dust Costello for 37 yards to Shavers, gets the ball to the LSU 20. You've got a first down goes on to set up a Mississippi State field goal, puts Mississippi State back in the lead for good. But that sequence of having it ruled a fumble, everything is going wrong, and then coming out and completing a 37-yard pass, that, to me, the fifth big play. Yeah, the interception, then you had the strip sack, then you, you thought you had another turnover, and you're like, what else can go wrong? What else can go wrong? And, yeah, like they, like you said, Charlie, getting that confidence back, 37 yards to Tyrell Shavers, that was big. And then that field goal, the field goal by Ruiz gives you the lead back at 37-34. It just seemed like every time that LSU had any momentum. How many times do you see it in baseball? A team that's the visiting team scores and then a team answers. Just to be able to answer. And it seemed like Costello on down the line, every time we had to have a play to answer – in the game on Saturday, we answered. And, again, it's another situation where, as a team, we answer LSU's field goal by going and getting one of our own. But as an individual, Costello answers adversity one more time where he's had things go wrong, go wrong, almost go wrong. But, hey, we're right back to throwing the football. He's got something, man. It takes a whole lot of that it factor we talk about to be able to do what he did. Does a lot of that come from just doing it? I mean, here's a guy who's done it at Stanford in the Pac-12, Power 5 League. We talk about the game slowing down for you when you get older. He just looks like a guy where the game has slowed down a little bit for him. And, and you would think in today's world with COVID and everything else, 
Teams that have experience are going to thrive, especially early in the season, and we have an experienced quarterback. Well, I'll say this. If the first weekend was any indication, it's going to be a fun season with that guy. And that's our five big keys brought to you by Cannon Ford of Starkville. If you're looking for a new or used vehicle, need something done to the car or the body shop, whether it be service, Cannon Ford of Starkville can get you going. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to the former coach at Washington and Colorado and UCLA. Rick Neuheisel joins us. CBS Sports, Sirius XM on the radio every day. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. I had some of the pineapple and pork this morning. I had some of the jalapeno cheddar Sunday morning before Charlie and I met for coffee. And so put it all in your rotation, the Country Pleasing Sausage, made locally in the state of Mississippi and Florence, Mississippi. So make sure you get as much Country Pleasing Sausage to put on the grill here in football season. Well, let's go to the guest line now where Rick Neuheisel, former head coach out on the West Coast, Colorado, had a lot of success at Washington, UCLA, right now on Sirius XM, ESPN Radio, the full ride. And Coach, I mean, looking at what Mike Leach did this past weekend, and you've seen Mike Leach in this offense for a long, long time. Were you surprised at all by what you saw in Baton Rouge this past Saturday? I was not surprised at the efficiency that uh, Mike and that offense displayed in Death Valley because I've seen that. I've seen that act over and over and over again. In my mind, it really comes down to the preparation of the opponent and how much you know how to fill up the space that uh, they're looking for in that pass offense. There's always going to be crossers. There's always going to be intelligent receivers who uh, are really good pass catchers that know how to throttle down in openings. And so it's the job of the defense to kind of take those openings away. And the lack of uh, understanding uh, by the LSU offense was, or LSU defense was to me was confounding, but take nothing away from uh, the Bulldogs. They were fantastic. AJ Costello was fantastic in his opener. Uh, he, shook off the mistakes, a couple of picks, uh, a fumble, maybe uh, some balls that should have gotten out of his hand a little quicker. He was fantastic in playing the next play, and it was a brilliant start for the uh, air raid offense, uh, Starkville version. Coach, it looked like in that ball game, LSU tried to play a lot of man defense, tried to bring pressure at times. Bart and I joked back when Jolie Dunn was trying to defend this offense when it was being run by Tim Couch that he actually came out at one point in a zone defense with no down defensive linemen. Um, What's the adjustment that you expect Mississippi State to see going forward? Well, you're right. It was a heavy dose of man coverage, and that was shocking to me, especially because Stingley didn't play in the game. And man coverage without help in the middle to take those crossers away from the quarterback, whether it be a spy via the linebacker or a robber safety coming down, you have to have uh, people being funneled to help, and that wasn't the case on this particular Saturday. Uh, so the advantage went squarely to the Bulldogs. The adjustment that I expect to see is what Chris Peterson did 
while at Washington, while Mike was uh, the head coach at Washington State. In all six of those games, they held Mike's offense to 17 points or less, less than 400 yards, three turnovers or more in each of them, and won all six. And the way they did it is they played a lot of two deep, almost six under, three-man rush, knowing that uh, there weren't going to be enough in the run game to beat them. And they were really hawkish in terms of playing the ball in the air. And Maybe that was a November game, you know, so it was cold and maybe more difficult to to be as efficient in the air, but, but the facts are the facts. They were six and six and zero oh, playing that kind of defense against the air raid. Talking with Coach Rick Neuheisel and Coach, looking at what Mike Leach has done, whether it be in Lubbock, Texas, or Pullman, Washington, now in Startwell, Mississippi, there's a lot of similarities there. It's it's tough to get to Lubbock. A lot of the kids, you have to have a special kid to want to go to Lubbock. To get to Pullman, it's not very easy to get to Pullman. And Startwell, very similar as well. But you coach in the, in the Northwest and understand how tough it was to pull kids to Washington State. And going back to the point of getting kids in this offense and playing in warm weather, do you expect to see or do you really know what to, what to think about Mike Leach in the south where it is warm? It's still <laughs> kind of warm in November, but being able to recruit wide receivers in the south, do you think it's going to be a lot easier here than it was in Pullman? Well, I do. I think it'll be easier to get players in, in uh, the SEC than it was in Pullman in the Pac-12. There's no question about that. I think people, especially given uh, where the SEC sits right now in the pantheon of of uh, college football and the Power Five uh, leagues, I think that uh, the SEC's at the top. And so, therefore, you're going to get a lot of players that are going to have interest. And then when you add to that uh, the ability to catch as many passes as a receiver is going to catch in this particular offense, you're going to get a lot of uh, interest from those guys who call themselves pass receivers. Uh, I mean, if you look and see what's happened at Alabama since all of a sudden they started to whip the ball around, you can see the talent level rising dramatically there at Alabama. The same can be said about LSU after uh, Joe Burrow's season from a year ago. So as pass receivers start to see what K.J. Costello did in week one and, and what can happen and then start to learn more about what Mike Leach has done both at Texas Tech and at Washington State, pass receivers are going to want to come and play. And also, by the way, they're going to get to play for a guy named Steve Spurrier Jr., who's the wide receiver coach. So to me, that is going to be a huge uh, boon to Mississippi State recruiting as it pertains to that position. And that position really is everything because the air raid in Mike Leach's version of it is truly that, an air raid. Running is secondary. Uh, he doesn't even like the distinguishing between run and pass. He calls it just distribution to five skilled players. Fortunately, Kylan Hill was all in on being a team guy, as you would expect, and uh, his attitude getting get in the way of being a thousand-yard rusher. He just said, "Well, okay, let me do it, catching the ball," and he catches for eight balls for one fifty in week one. It's truly remarkable. Growing up in the South and watching the SEC over the years, I've always thought about two things: one, big, powerful running backs like a Bo Jackson or a Herschel Walker, and very good defenses. Now, all of a sudden. You look at the NFL game, for example, and it seems it's all about who you got under center. You know, if you're going to be a great team, you better have a great quarterback. Do you see college football in general and the SEC in particular moving more and more to a kind of quarterback-centric teams? Well, 
A couple things. Uh, number one, the rules have been doctored to add offense. I mean, this the world of college football and this RPO, the run-pass option, where offense alignment can, in fact, be blocking a run and a quarterback can still be throwing the ball down the field as long as those linemen don't get past three yards. And you can only imagine how difficult that is to legislate for an official as to when the ball leaves his hand, where's that offensive lineman? So you're seeing guys get out on four and five yards on a lot of these plays. That becomes an absolute nightmare for a safety who's got a run fit responsibility as well as a back uh, deep responsibility. It's called being cross-conflicted. You can't, you can't be right all the time. So we're seeing a ton of that. We're seeing the quarterbacks being added to the run game. Uh, you know, whether it be the zone read where you put the ball in the belly of the back and read an unblocked defender. If he goes down to the running back, you're around him. And while you may not do that a, a, a lot in the game, it requires attention by the defense. And with all that being said, it's a proliferation of great offense. And we're seeing trickle up, meaning that a lot of this stuff is now being incorporated at the NFL level. All these guys who were terrific at both RPO and quarterback run game, the Deshaun Watsons, the Lamar Jacksons, uh, and in some cases, even Patrick Mahomes, they have all now graduated to that level of the NFL and have taken their offenses with them. And that's why you're seeing all these uh, huge, huge uh, uh, plays by the quarterback. And then you've got this group of guys like Mahomes, like Russell Wilson, who, because they're such good athletes, have really two calls in every call. One, where they drop back and play what the call was. And if they throw it on time, fine. They're usually going to be 70% or more uh, when you're throwing to first choices based on what they saw the defense look like when they took the snap from center. But there's a second play that's incorporated then because of their athleticism where, okay, I don't have what I want, so now I'm going to create the second option. And Russell Wilson actually takes his eyes down, looks and sees where the escape hatch is, gets out there and now starts extending the play, which is code for, oh my goodness, if you're a defensive coordinator. Because now everybody's now changing into a completely new play. Uh, used to call it a scramble drill, but it's anything but scrambled. It's organized chaos for offense, and you are seeing monster plays developed. Uh, Mike Leach's offense is not that, but it is a system almost like the organized chaos starts with the pre-call because of the ability to throttle things down and just take space. So that's why you're seeing it. So uh, uh, the willingness to throw that many passes, 60 in the opening game, and the willingness to uh, allow these receivers that kind of freedom because they do it all the time in practice. Well, you're listening to the great Rick Neuheisel right now on Sirius XM ESPNU, the full ride. And Coach, with COVID going on and teams not having spring practice, and we've seen it in the Big 12 here early in the year, are teams more even right now? Are you going to see more upsets this year? Are teams, uh, you're not going to have as much volatility between the two te- between teams around the country? It's an interesting point. Uh, what I think I'm seeing is just uh, poor tackling. I don't think we're, we're up to speed as defenses tackling. Uh, right now. I don't think a lot of teams were taking people to the ground in practice. Uh, and with that being said, you're not seeing the the rally to the ball, the, the great angles that should be taken when you're playing great team defense. I think that will all get corrected as we keep going along. But uh, I think some of this 
you know, giant offense, giant big plays, as you saw in that Oklahoma-Kansas State game, are byproducts of just not doing what you need to do as tackling. I guarantee you, Bo Pelini went back and showed that film to his guys and said, we've got to tackle better than this if we're going to be anywhere close to what people expected when they saw LSU take the field this year. Coach, you've won the Pac-10, you've won a Rose Bowl, you had a lot of success as a coach. You've been out of it a little bit. You've been on the radio side for a little while now. I'm curious because every time a job comes up, we start hearing the name Rick Neuheisel. How much is the pull for you to get back on the sidelines or does that headset feel a little better than uh, having to deal with fans and recruits and everything else? Well, the good news is uh, I get to wear a headset in both those jobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I enjoy the radio. I enjoy doing the, the uh, CBS gig uh, because it keeps me in the game. And I get to watch it. I get to analyze it. I get to kind of break it down for folks who may not uh, know exactly what's taking place. And I find that uh, a lot of fun. I don't have to work in the off season like the other coaches do with respect to recruiting and stuff. So I can enjoy getting out on the golf course or hanging out with my family or what have you. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that I didn't still have a hankering to coach. Every time I get to, to watching a game, I am making decisions as to what I would do offensively, what I would do defensively. I find myself talking to the TV, which is drives people who are watching the game with me crazy. But uh, it's it's in your blood. So I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing. I'm enjoying it. I'm forever grateful for the uh, opportunities I have as we sit here today. But if someone came along and said, hey, would you be interested in this? It would be hard for me not to take uh, at least a look. Coach, we appreciate you joining us. Done a great job in both of them, both sides, the football coach and the, the broadcast analyst role. Appreciate you. Oh, you guys are kind. Hey, listen, enjoy this uh, air raid ride you guys are on, and uh, good luck against Arkansas. Well, thank you so much. And that's Coach Rick Neuheisel on our Country Pleasing Sausage guest line. Hey, they just announced this past week. Country Pleasing is going to be in the stadium this year. So if you get hungry around that second quarter, looking for something to eat at the stadium, go on by and catch you some of that great Country Pleasing sausage available at all the grocers around the state of Mississippi. If you don't have it in your area, just go to their website, countrypleasing.com, and they'll ship it to you. So once again, our guest line segment brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Back with a final word on Out of Left Field. Presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back for the final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. We're getting you ready for Mississippi State in Arkansas this coming weekend. Well, that was good stuff. Rick Neuheisel, longtime head coach. Working with Sirius XM and CBS Sports, had some interesting takes. He kind of nailed the point that we talked about in segment one about you're probably going to see a lot more zone defenses. And now Barry Odom, the defensive coordinator for Arkansas, may see a lot of zone this weekend. You would sure think so. LSU just got torched by the Mississippi State passing game, but I thought by being hard-headed. And Barry Odom is going to have a little bit of tape to look at, and I cannot imagine – that Arkansas is going to look at that film and say, hey, let's do what Bo Pelini did. (laughs) In fact, I think what you want to say is let's take the film and whatever Bo Pelini did, let's do the exact opposite. And thus, I think we can expect to see some zone. 
Sam Pittman in his first year as the head coach at Arkansas. Remember, he was the offensive line coach at Georgia. You know, coming back to Fayetteville, he's a he's a likable guy. I mean, just a kind of an outgoing personality. He'll fit in well in Fayetteville. We mentioned Barry Odom being the defensive coordinator. Here's the thing that jumps out at me about Arkansas. Felipe Franks, the Florida transfer, he's the starting quarterback. This past week against the Georgia Bulldogs, he was 19 of 36 for 200 yards even. He had one touchdown and two interceptions. But looking at stat-wise, 78% of the passes that he threw in the game were thrown under 10 yards. They try to dink and dunk you to death and try to get you to miss tackles. Two things really stand out. First is you don't feel like they had a whole lot of trust in Felipe Franks throwing the football, that they were trying to be very conservative and take the pressure off him. And after having watched him play at Florida, I understand why. The second thing is didn't get a whole lot of yards after the catch. You know, that was one of the things that Mississippi State did so well. They get Orgeron and calculated that Mississippi State had 383 yards after the catch last weekend. Arkansas had none of that. You know, Arkansas jumped out. They had a they played well defensively in the first half. They had a 7-5 lead at the half. 7-5 lead at the half. You talk about Felipe Franks. They'll try to get Smith going, rushing the football. They've got Burks on the outside. He had seven receptions for over 100 yards. So this Arkansas offense, completely different than what you saw under Chad Morris. This is not the spread the field kind of Texas high school football style of offense that, that Arkansas is going to have. It's not like the, the free throwing that you saw back in Bobby Petrino at all. This is not going to be the run style of Eric Bielema. It's almost like Arkansas has a tough time finding their identity. This is going to be more of what everybody else is doing around the country. Yeah, and more of what some people would call 11 personnel, meaning you've got one tight end and you've got one running back and then three wide outs, but definitely still trying to be a little more of a power team at times. And when they throw it, not throwing it that far down the field. On the defensive side is where they had been really wretched over the past couple of years. They played so much better in the first half against Georgia in the game on Saturday. But then the second half, man, Georgia's just kind of ratcheted everything down. It was almost like Kirby Smart just needed to get that Georgia team to the locker room. Georgia looked like a completely different team in the second half. And, of course, Georgia playing without their transfer quarterback, JT Daniels, who was out last week. He's back in the lineup this week. So Georgia was kind of trying to mix and match and find its own identity in the first half. And that's kind of why you saw that ugly bloodbath in the first 30 minutes of football. Yeah, you look at this Arkansas defense, too. It's not terribly experienced. They've only got three guys over there who have had 100 career tackles. So you're going to have a number of redshirt freshmen over there, number of younger guys in the secondary as well. It's going to be interesting, too, to see what type of approach they like to take. If the depth chart is to be believed, Arkansas likes to go with a a four-man front. But Barry Odom, a guy who played some three-man fronts at Memphis, and they were experimenting with what some of the Arkansas players had called a 3-2-6 at one point. And so you have to think Arkansas's approach is going to be to try to get after you with three on the defensive side and then hope you can cover in the back. And what's the advantage of doing that? If you keep Mississippi State in front, the longer you force drives to go, the more opportunity you give for Mississippi State to make a mistake. Yeah, you talk about Felipe Franks throwing for the 200 yards. He had a quarter of that on one play, 49-yard touchdown pass to Traylon Burks. 
So Burks had half of his yardage on one catch. So the others, he had six catches for 50 yards. So they have that big play potential. Okay, let's talk about us. Let's talk about us in this game. Now all of a sudden you've got to come back to earth a little bit. Now you've got everybody on campus telling you how good you are. And it can take away that edge at times. What are you expected to see Mississippi State try to do offensively? Is it just the same old, same old, we are we are what we are? We're just going to come out and try to pick up right where we left off? Yeah, I expect that you will. Now, you may distribute the ball a little bit differently, so it'll be interesting to see in terms of what's the thing we hear, take what they give you. You know, one of the advantages I think that Mississippi State has this year that Mike Leach hasn't always had is that you have Kylan Hill. And so you can talk about, well, Arkansas is going to play all these defensive backs and things like that, but there is still the opportunity to get the ball to Kylan Hill on a virtual handoff out on space, isolated on some of those guys. And we saw last week how dangerous that he can be. So I think for Mississippi State's offense, it's going to be the same system. It's just going to be finding, take what they give you. And if you got to get to Kylan Hill, hey, so be it. The guy had almost 200 all-purpose yards last week. Do you look to see Kylan Hill get more touches in the rushing game this week than he did last week? I think so, particularly if – Arkansas backs off like I think they're going to. I'm going to be surprised if we don't see Arkansas come out in something akin to a 3-2-6 or a 4-2-5, backing off and trying to get coverage. And I think that there is a chance that we see Kylan Hill getting more plays in either the running game or what I'll call the virtual running game. We saw the shovel pass run last week. That goes in the books as a pass. That's a technicality. That's a virtual handoff. And it gives Kylan Hill the ability to act as if it is a carry. Here's the thing that stood out to me. And so much has been talked about with Mike Leach and about distributing the football. We talked about this ad nauseum, but it's different to see it in person. When you see a Cameron Gardner, freshman from Startville, lining up in the slot, making the big play, then you thinking about Austin Williams and just the way you distribute the football around the field. We didn't see a whole lot of Malik Heath. And a lot of people will tell you he's the best athlete. He's the best specimen in that wide receiver core. You'll probably see him a little bit more this week. Guys like Austin Williams, guys like in in your slot positions, don't you expect to see more out of those guys this week simply because teams are going to drop drop back? If if you're going to have success, it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, and you know, one thing we didn't see at LSU was the use of those big receivers, the former tight ends. We didn't see them get involved much. If Arkansas elects to play off the ball, it'll be interesting to see if we get some of those guys some touches as well. Okay, on the defensive side, you would have to think Arkansas is probably going to try to establish the run more than LSU did. Yeah, absolutely, because you got a guy, Rakeem Boyd, senior running back. He went for over 100 against us last year, and he second-team All-SEC guy in some polls. And – The other advantage to running the football if you're Arkansas, we go back to something we said before, Mississippi State's offense can't be moving the ball up and down the field if they're drinking Gatorade on the sidelines. And so a ball control type offense is exactly what I'd be trying to do. And that's what LSU tried to do in the second half. We go back to the point of them trying to establish a run. I think a lot of that was to try to keep us off the field. You know, we had the football 19 and a half minutes in the first half, and LSU 
pretty much had the ball 19 and a half minutes in the second half. They tried to play keep away, and they were successful doing it. Now, it didn't take us long to score in some of those times. That's the thing about this offense is sometimes you break it 75-yard pitch and catch. Kylan Hill breaking those tackles, making that big play. You turn it back over in a hurry. But, yeah, I think you'll see Arkansas try to be a lot more ball control. Charlie, it finally feels like football. The temperature is a little bit cooler right now. First home game of the year. We're going to get to hear some cowbells this weekend. You know, the, the, the governor came out yesterday, relieved the mask order in the state, but you still have to wear in the stadium. There's a caveat in there that you still have to wear your mask when you're coming into the stadium. If you're walking around the stadium, go to the bathroom, go to the concession stand, things like that. And so, and in businesses in the city of Starville, there's a local ordinance still in effect as well. Absolutely. So be cognizant of that. If you're coming to Starville this weekend, from a ticket standpoint, mobile tickets, and then you have printed home tickets. A lot of people have told me that they've tried to print the mobile tickets, which is a QR code, which is that square code. Then you have a barcode, which has you know, the 18 lines or whatever. You can print the barcodes at home, the printed home tickets. But if you try to get in, I've been told this, if you try to get in with a printed QR code, those scanners will not read the printed QR code at the gate. And so get there early. Make sure you have your transfers and everything down with your tickets before Saturday. If you have any questions, call the ticket office of the Bulldog Club and let them get you squared away and set up to uh, to make sure that your experience on Saturday is very good. Get to the stadium early, even though there is going to be a smaller crowd. There's not any tailgating going on. It's a small crowd, but make sure you try to get to your seats as early as possible and and not get bogged down at, at the gate with any kind of ticket issues. But I tell you what, Charlie, two months ago you had to wonder if you were going to play a home football schedule. Game one of five is now here. Once again, we talked about Hey, the tough thing about being in the SEC is you've got 10 league games this year. You don't have any weeks off. But I tell you what, man, how great was it this past weekend to be looking at all league games? It just seemed like from 11 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, you had it stacked with big league games, and it's going to be that way again this weekend. Yeah, and there are some big games, too. You look around the league, you've got Texas A&M, Alabama, Jimbo Fisher's got to be feeling some heat all of a sudden because you don't play that well in the opening week, barely get by Vanderbilt, and they've got a tough little run in their schedule, so a big game there. I don't know, Charlie. That guy had a 10-year deal for $70 million, and it was all guaranteed, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Now, look, he's gonna, they're going to have a hard time getting rid of him, but you can have more or less fun going out to eat perhaps <laughs> than spending that $75 million. Other interesting games – I think that Ole Miss at Kentucky ball game is very important for Lane Kiffin and his crew. And then Auburn, Georgia, another big game. So that's the thing. We're not having to watch UT Chattanooga and the like. We're seeing some big-time football every week. UT Chattanooga. I knew it was coming. He did. So that'll do it. Once again, thanks to Farm Bureau, our presenting sponsor, Cannon Ford of Startwell. Then you had Country Pleasing Sausage. And so for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. 6.30 kickoff in the game on Saturday, 4.30 airtime of the network pregame show. And I'll tell you what, we may be back on Sunday having a little Sunday coffee with you, especially if we can play well in the game Saturday night. We have a guest or two for you when we get back on Sunday morning. So you've been listening to Out of Left Field.
presented by Farm Bureau.